presence of the Lord is strong among us. And it's good. I need extra anointing this morning because my notes are so small I can't read them. (laughs) Sometimes the Lord gives you so much good stuff. And so uh, here's here's for him helping me to be able to read what he's given. We're going to read a lot from his word. I'm going to invite you to turn with me first to 2 Chronicles. Can you turn that up just a tad? A tad, thank you. 2 Chronicles chapter 5. I'm going to preach from a New Testament text, but I want us to hear this story first. Second Chronicles chapter 5. So last week we were in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, at the, the point in the history of the people of God, right before they were about to enter into the inheritance that God was giving them, He's going to give them. And His core commitment to them was, My presence will go with you. I'm reading the book of Joshua in my devotions right now. And everywhere Israel goes, following the Lord's presence, when he sends them somewhere, his power accompanies his presence as they obey. Presence and power with the people of God. So this text is about 500 years later. They're in the land. They've gone through a super bleak period. God's raised up King David conquered the kingdom, and now his son Solomon is finally building a temple for the Lord. And we're going to read a passage about the consecration or the dedication of that temple from chapter 5 and then a few verses from chapter 7. When all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated, the silver and gold and all the furnishings, and he placed them in the treasuries of God's temple. Then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the presence of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the Israelites came together to the king at the time of the festival in the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark and they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The Levitical priests carried them up and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and covered the ark and its carrying poles. The poles were so long 
that their ends extending from the ark could be seen from in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from the outside the holy place. And they are still there today, meaning at the time of writing. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives, stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Solomon then begins to pray, and all of chapter 6 is his prayer. Flip over to chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Flip with me. Remember these two words, presence and power. Presence and power. Now flip with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3. This is a part of a much longer section of about four chapters in which Paul's doing a couple of things. One of them is um, a defense of his ministry, an explanation of his ministry. And so it's a really hard um, section to pick where to start and where to stop uh, without reading four chapters. So we're not going to. I'm just going to jump in um, chapter 3, verse 4, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, 
but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory as it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord, meaning Jesus, is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. For the past, um, well, ever since I was a child, my family has gone camping every summer. But for the past 11 or 12 years, our camping has been on the eastern shore of Lake Huron. So kind of like this side of Lake Michigan that we're on. Um, We camp in Canada on the eastern shore at a park called McGregor Point Provincial Park. And when we first started camping there... 2011 and 12, we would go to a beach that was just outside of the park. It was better than the one in the park. And the beach was quite long and expansive, kind of uh, wound its way. And uh, it was also very, very uh, wide, I guess would be, I don't know, deep, whatever the description is. From, from the parking lot to the water would be several hundred feet huge expansive beach and so you'd park and then you'd have to carry all your stuff and walk a good long way to get down near the water well for the last 11 years since then every year the water has been getting higher and higher and higher until several years ago the water actually reached the parking lot and when we showed up for camping that year 
we recognized that they had, they had, there had been these four-by-four four poles with rope between them to kind of mark the end of the parking lot where the beach starts. They had pulled the poles up and moved them back closer to the road and made a small parking lot where, on what used to be the edge of the road and then filled in the parking lot with sand for a new beach because the entire beach was gone. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that recently. Because I was thinking about how some of our younger nieces and nephews would not remember. They're so young that they would not remember an expansive beach. All they would remember is we show up to a tiny, little, crowded parking spot. You've got to go early if you want to get a parking spot. And then you get into this tiny, little a crowded beach where everybody's really close and the water's right there. That's all they'd remember. I'm thinking about that because I'm thinking about how much the season that you're born into shapes what you think is normal. The season that you're born into shapes what you expect. So think about this with me. If you were born into Europe and into the European church in the early Middle Ages, pre-Reformation, you're born into an environment in which the church doesn't have the Word of God in your language. Your way of connecting with God or accessing God or hearing from God is to come to a place with a somewhat... Um, bent leadership that's got a lot of abuses that are inherent in it and hear a worship service in a language that doesn't belong to you. Not your language. So there's no discipleship. There's no word of God. There's no presence and power of God. There's just abuses in the church. Very little witness to the light of Jesus Christ that's transforming the culture. But how do you know any different? Because that's what you're born into. You're born into a season in which the way you access God is to go somewhere to someone who has power, who speaks in another language, who mediates for you. And you're not empowered You don't have the Word of God. What happened to change that? What happened to change that was some men and women got a hold of the Word of God for themselves. They read the testimony of the Word of God. And revival broke out. They got revived. They got a sense of what God's purposes were for the church. He wants everybody to be involved. He calls for a royal priesthood. The word of God should be in everybody's language. It should be in everybody's home. Everybody should get involved in discipleship. And revival broke out. Their their expectations were changed because they were exposed to a testimony in the word of God that shifted their expectations. Okay. So as we pray and as we work for revival, here's what I sense God saying to us. I want to shift your expectations. I want to shift your prayers by renewing them by my word and testimonies. What do I mean by that? 
Put your hand up if you've been a believer for 10 years or more. Don't put your hand up yet. And you've experienced large, you've been in a season where large amounts of people were coming into the faith and into the church where you were. I see two and a half hands. Most of us have lived, have not lived through revival. We have been more shaped by a lack of revival than by revival. How do we expect and pray for something that we haven't experienced and pray for it with faith? The first thing that we need is a recalibration, a resetting of our minds that calibrates them to the testimony of the Word of God. Paul says, we have a ministry, we all together have a ministry that's very glorious. He says it's much more glorious than a ministry where Moses came down from a mountain with two stone tablets where the presence of God was revealed to him. God wrote on stone. He says the covenant we've been given, the ministry we've been given and handed is more glorious than that. Than that power and that presence. Now we're going to talk later about how it's in jars of clay, but the point is it's all surpassing glory in jars of clay. Okay? That ministry has been given to us. And he says that ministry, not it's not ours, it's the Spirit's ministry. But that Spirit's ministry, he says, it gives life from death. So the first thing we got to realize is we've been given a ministry to give resurrection, to bring people out of graves, out of the death of sin. That's our calling. That's our ministry. We're not all called to in the same way. We're not all called. We're not all gifted evangelists in the same way. You don't need to feel any pressure to be someone that you're not called to be in God. We're not all Johns or Carolines, but we are all, or Nicks. There's lots of anointing for evangelism here. It's beautiful and it's growing. We are given this ministry, the ministry of the Spirit, that is to bring life, which means we're to expect to see new life. If we gather as a church family for a prolonged period of time, and this is the environment, so two and a half hands went up, which means most of us have been raised in environments in which the church wasn't fruitful in evangelism. We were not fruitful in drawing people to faith in Jesus Christ, in sharing in the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring new life. I'm not here to beat us up. The Lord's not here to beat us up. But He does want to turn or recalibrate our expectations. We have a gospel that brings life from the dead. And we ought to expect resurrection life to be on display presence of God and the power of God to transform lives. Paul says that ministry doesn't just bring life, it brings righteousness, cleans us up, makes us like God, transforms us. The word he uses here is metamorpho, like a butterfly metamorphosizing, right? This ministry takes us from where we were 
addicted to cocaine for how many years? 14 years evangelizing for Jesus on the street. Yes, yes. This ministry, he says, it's enduring. It lasts. It isn't going to go away. We have our ups and downs. We have our good days and bad days. We get under the weight of some dark things, but the ministry of the Holy Spirit doesn't change. It's enduring. He's bringing a kingdom that lasts. He's a king who's not leaving his throne. He's preparing a bride. He's coming back for it. And we're called to join him in that ministry. We're given a ministry, he says, that fills us with hope and it fills us with boldness. We're given a ministry, he says, that brings liberty and freedom. We're given a ministry, if we're to summarize it, we're given a ministry that brings the presence and the power of God wherever we go. We ought to expect it when we gather corporately. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit. Jesus is the Spirit. Jesus is with us by the Spirit right now. Jesus has a very glorious ministry, which means that when we gather, we ought to expect the very glorious ministry of Jesus to be at work with power, bringing this kind of transformation. So, Let's ask ourselves, what does it look like when this ministry of the Spirit is in full swing? Before we answer that, I want to say this. The measure of Christian maturity is love. It's agape love. Self-sacrificial love. Serving in a variety of ways, contexts, gifts. Okay? So when I talk about the power and the presence of the Lord, it's aimed at bringing us to Him and making us like Him. We're not elevating power and presence for their sake. The goal is agape love in and through all of us as individuals and together as a community. Okay? But in order for that to happen... In order for each, for, for people to grow up in the love of the Lord, they first need to be drawn to Him. There needs to be a move of the Holy Spirit to revive people, to bring them to Him. So now let's ask again, what does it look like when that ministry of the Holy Spirit is in full swing or at work powerfully? Some of you will um, recognize these things, not the covers, but the things inside of them. It used to be that when we wanted to watch something on TV, we had to use a disc and put it in. Remember those days? Okay. These are DVDs, six DVDs. They're all put out by a, a group called the Sentinel Group by George Otis Jr., who about 25, 30 years ago started feeling the Lord prompting him, look for what I'm doing around the earth, document it, and share it with the body of Christ. And so he just began asking people, what do you see God doing and listening for stories? And the stories began to tumble in, and he began to travel. And so in the first DVD here, Transformations 1, 
He documents four cities, one in the United States, one in Africa, one in South America, and I don't remember where the last one is. And he tells these stories of incredible, incredible revival as the church prays. The power and presence of the Lord. So one story from here. I, I'm not, I haven't watched it recently, so I'm guessing here. I, I think the name's Amalongo. It's, it's, the, it's the South Central America one. I might be, I might be confusing it with the, the African one. So when you watch it, forgive me if I've got it backwards. But uh, this, this city in Central America that was so crime-ridden that they could not house all of their own people in their jails, and they had regularly, weekly trip, bus trips, to take new criminals out to other jails. They had to outsource their criminals because they were that crime-ridden. Five bars, open 24 hours a day, couldn't stock them enough. And the church, one church started to cry out to God, God, we need a move of your Holy Spirit. We're, the, the times are growing evil. It's getting dark. The darkness is oppressing. God, we need a move. We need revival. And boom, one and two and three, off the street. People started to get con- converted on the street and in the bars. Husbands started going home, repenting to their wives, turning away from alcohol, turning away from abusing them. Marriages are getting restored. Kids getting restored to their fathers. By the end of this story, and they just spend 15, 20 minutes documenting it, all five bars are not only closed, they're all churches. They're all churches. And they got such a blessing from God on their land that their vegetables are growing at like three to four times the normal size or rate. Like I, they show you pictures of carrots like this big. I'm not kidding you. The blessing of God on the land as people all turn to him. Okay. He told that story in the first three. And then as soon as he was done, he had to start on another one because the testimonies kept pouring in. And he kept going. He kept going. The ministry of the Holy Spirit through the praying church, the believing church, always brings revival. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, we should not be, um, surprised by this because it's what God's done all throughout church history. This is a wonderful little book. It's called Volume 1 of Glory Through Time. It's written by a Presbyterian pastor and church historian. And he documents moves, outpourings of the Holy Spirit to bring revival and um, community transformation and lead whole people groups to the Lord from Acts to the present day. And he's, he's, he'll say it himself. He's scratching the surface of the stories that he could tell. Okay. But what he's doing is he feels God calling him to help recalibrate the church's expectations. That the church would expect the presence and the power of God as normal. Normative. Why? Because when we open the scripture, that's what we see. When the early church moved out from Acts, the fire, just like Chronicles, the fire fell, the presence of God, and they go, not without resistance, but with great fruit, because the praying church was moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And we shouldn't be surprised by that because that's the same thing we see in the ministry of Jesus. And we shouldn't be surprised by the ministry of Jesus because it's the same thing we see in the Old Testament when God's people are obedient. Right? Presence and power. I think even though we say to ourselves we shouldn't be surprised, we still often are. We don't really expect it. Don't fully expect it. Because we haven't seen it. We haven't lived through it. And what I sense the Lord wanting to say to us this morning is, I want to give you a very joyful recalibration of your expectations. I'm about to do a new thing. I sense the Lord saying this. I'm about to do a new thing in your midst. And the thing is, it's a new thing to you, not to me, says the Lord. I, I've, I've not changed. I still deliver. I still heal. I still change hearts. I still forgive. I still breathe new life on dry bones. And I'm calling you, church, to be ready for the new thing that is not a new thing to me that I'm going to do. What I sense the Lord saying is that a little bit too much of our attention is on the jars of clay. We're too aware. It's like we're we're too aware of uh, human limitation, human weakness, and in in its shaping our expectations. It's not just that we haven't experienced revival, but it's also not enough focus on the all-surpassing power. And the Lord is saying, fix your eyes on me. I have not changed. I want you to focus on my all-surpassing power. My presence and my power go with you. They go with you into your work. They go with you into your homes. They go with you into your um, schools, into your relationships. And I want you to just recal- it's very simple. Recalibrate your expectations on the basis of my presence, my power with you. It's not anything you have to drum up. It doesn't take any striving. If you've got to, if you've got to strive or drum something up, it's not the Lord. Okay? It's, it's simply faith that the one who said, I give you my spirit, dwells within and can do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine through faith. But I've got to be aware of his presence. An awareness of his presence is what prepares for the the ability for His power or His loving goodness to be manifest through me. Does this make sense? If I'm not aware, then I'm not, I don't have the eyes as I walk into various situations to see the needs and to ask for Him to meet them. 
So it's, it's a very simple recalibration, awareness of his presence, and expectation of his power at work. Again, not anything. It's just faith. This doesn't require striving on our part. So I, I hope I'm communicating this clearly. I'm seeing some nods. Okay. I want to um, end where we ended last week. Last week, I called us to pray together. And I want us to pray together again. In, in our own words, uh, as many of you as feel led to pray out loud, Lord, help, let's ask the Lord to help recalibrate us. Okay? Shift our expectations. And um, two things. Recalibrate thinking and expectations to align with the Word of God and the testimonies about what God is. I haven't changed, says the Lord. I'm the same. I have not changed. You change your expectations to line up with who I am. That's what we want. Okay? And then the second thing is, Lord, bring more of your presence and power to make clear and to expand Jesus' very glorious ministry. Lord, more of your presence and your power to expand and make clear Jesus' ministry. I'll open us in prayer and um, leave space for as many as would like to pray together and then we'll um, close, close by singing. I think. Lord, I just feel you strongly impressing on my heart this bit about um, there's no striving involved in this. That it's a trust and a rest of faith that, that flows out of you not changing and you being in and with us and wanting to work and move through us. So, Lord, we do pray that you would um, shift our thinking, shift our awareness to become more aware of this great mystery that you who indwelt the temple and caused your presence, caused everyone to fall on their faces, that you dwell within us. Lord, hear our prayers.